Welcome to a podcast of The Mike Novak Show. Don't forget that you can listen to Mike live on Sundays from 8 to 10 a.m. on Chicago's Progressive Talk, a.m. and f.m. Here comes Santa and his reindeer with a Yuletide message for all to hear. wouldn't love a modern home freezer, an up-to-date range. A big new refrigerator, a smart steel cabinet sink, a clothes washer or dryer. An automatic water heater, a wonderful dishwasher. These are all gifts that do so much to lighten a wife's work. Give her more time to spend with the rest of the family. So men, take this hint from U.S. Steel. And you ladies, remind him by singing this song. From the beautiful showcase studios on South Pulaski Road, just across the street from the 53A bus stop, and in between Paco's Tacos and Zaka Tacos, it's the Mike Novak Show, Chicago's only locally broadcast green, gardening, and environment program. Heard every Sunday right here on Chicago's Progressive Talk, AM and FM. Good planets, hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. This hour of the Mike Novak Show is brought to you by Sid's Greenhouses, Chicagoland's premier garden centers. And by the care of trees, our businesses, people, and their love for trees. And by WRD Environmental, creating sustainable landscapes since 1997. Podcasts of this program, along with green tips, valuable links, and DeMaio weather, are a click away at MikeNovak.net. That's M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net. Now here's the man who's redefining green, which means that he's busy working on the Wikipedia entry, Mike Novak. One more time. One more time. Uh, you know, uh, I was a little slow getting here today because I backed out of the parking lot, hit a fire hydrant. Strange thing. I don't know how that happened. Of course, I hit the fire hydrant at about 40 miles an hour oh, coming, out, coming out of my uh, driveway. And uh, and then lay in the street for a while. Um, and just processing it all that you yeah, just hit it. Well, yeah, they're pretty unmoving them fire hydrants. They are, they, you they're, know, they're pretty solid. And um, and then um, Kathleen had to come out and beat open the window with uh, a golf club and, <laughs> and rescue you. And rescue me, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and and no alcohol was involved. Sure. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are the chances? Yeah. <laughs> really? Uh, but, you know, uh, yeah. those things happen. Yeah, they do. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've pulled out of my driveway, run into a fire hydrant hard enough to knock myself out. Yeah. You know? Mm. 
Well, at two thirty in the morning. Yeah, it was early. You were still half asleep, I which was, is which mm-hmm. is don't I, die while half, half asleep, asleep, kids. Half asleep, <laughs> whole asleep. Oh dear. Me when I was driving in, I went through. I was coming south down Ridgeland, and everybody had put up their Christmas decorations, and they have those big inflatable things on their front yards of all I the different. Beg your pardon. Well, you know what I mean. Those big characters. It's Rudolph and Mickey Mouse and la la. Oh, those, those inflatable things. Those big inflatables okay, for yeah. holidays. Well, none of them were on. So they're all like dilapidated and like hanging. It looked like the great cartoon massacre of, you know, 2010 because there were like Mickey and Bugs Bunny and Rudolph all laying and strewn about in the street and I couldn't stop it's laughing. It's kind of deflated. Yeah. Right? It just, but there was miles of them because like everybody's got one in this neighborhood. So yeah, it was, it, it was pretty funny that they looked all, all hurt and beaten. You know, welcome, by the way, <laughs> to the holiday season. Uh, which will be about Tiger Woods. No kidding. Uh, for the next, well, not only that. I, you know, I feel sorry for the guy because I like him. You know, he's obviously one of the best athletes in the world. Um, you know, I, I, I wish I had a, had six-pack abs like Tiger. I don't think... I wish I could hit a golf ball like Tiger. I don't think he's got six-pack six pack abs, do you? I bet he does. Really? Well, I know Maybe you had golf that, ball. I mean, the guy. Have you ever seen him in those shirts? You know, you look at Phil Mickelson, and he's kind of droopy and saggy. And then there's Tiger, who's yeah. looking uh, real. You know, and and a lot of guys on the tour. Although the, the young pups on the tour now they're all buff. You know, it didn't. Golf didn't used to be about that, did it? Golf <laughs> used to be about the plaid pants. Yes, exactly. It was men in ugly pants walking around. That's what golf was. That's what it was. It still is to yeah. some degree. Have you ever been on a golf course? No. Uh, there's still a lot of guys with, <laughs> that never got rid of their ugly pants and they brought them out. Now, ugly? That, you mean you think plaid's ugly? Um, on pants. Depends on the plaid, really. Uh, that's okay. uh, Tim Magner there. He's uh, my first guest of the day, and he's written some books that... Now, I gave you one of those, yes, Heather. It's right here. You're going to be interested in that. There's two I, there. I got some more. You got some more? You're going to have to lay one on Heather before you go today, because uh, she's got a two-year-old. Yes, I do. Oh, perfect. Mm-hmm. Does a yeah. two-year-old like worms? Yes, and dinosaurs and dirt and bugs. Uh, and so Heather's going to get herself a... a you're not going to autograph that for her, are you? I, I will. Okay. Because, uh, you see, I knew when I had, w- brought you on the show, Tim, uh, that I had my own litmus test here, uh, and that is Heather and her son, William, her two-year-old. Perfect. Um, and you will get the uh, baptism of fire here, pal. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, now, now you got to understand, he's pretty sophisticated, and she's dragging him kicking and screaming into the green world. So, And, and literally kicking and screaming, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. He's two. Yeah. <laughs> he's two. Uh, but, uh, it sounds like he's on his way. I he mean, is. He loves dirt, he, and he loves worms. Are you familiar with uh, Big Green Rabbit? No. Oh, we got to oh, oh, we okay. got to introduce Tim to Big Green Rabbit. Yes, sir. I'm taking notes. You have a new partner in crime in the Green Children's w- community. Yeah, www.biggreenrabbit.com. And we'll find we'll track some of that. Maybe we'll play the What well, we wait. Don't we have the Big Green Rabbit uh, music? Yes. Around here? Yes. Is it on my Do you have it? I, I will check. I have uh, I, I actually I think do the Red Robins sing any of that? No. You mean the Frozen Robins? The Frozen Robins. Robins the Frozen yeah. Robins. No, they'd be good, though, on the holiday special. <laughs> you know they what? Would. Wait, big here green we are. Holiday special. Music from Big Green Rabbit. We'll, we'll, play, uh, we'll play one of those. It's, so. it's a children's show that I believe is based out of Denver, Colorado. It's on public access out there. And it just won, what, 17 Heartland Emmys? 
Yeah, a bunch. A bunch. And it's a green living show. It teaches kids about the environment and about, okay. you know, organic and, and how ecosystems work. And then they teach about extinction and endangered species, but they do it without scaring the kids. It's like, you know, you can, yes, the planet's in danger, but, you know, you're... You don't have to have a panic attack, because that was the one thing I used to hate. They'd scare you. Oh, and they still do. They still do, and I don't think that's the right approach. No, no, see, that's for adults. Yeah. That's my job, exactly. is, is to scare, scare, adults. The, scare adults, scare the heck out of them. That's what I do on this show, and I'm going to do that today. See, I'm starting off nice and easy with uh, Tim Magner uh, and, and, you know, children's books about the environment, which is cool. This is great. You folks waking up right now, you're, I'm going to ease you into it, and then I'm going to lower the boom after 8.30, because we're going <laughs> to have Brian Granahan from Environment Illinois, and we are going to have uh, Joel Brammeyer from uh, the Alliance for the Great Lakes, and we are going to have Josh Mogerman from Natural Resources Defense Council, and we're going to talk about how... Wow. Yeah. That's it, a good lineup. It's a heavy hitter lineup. Uh, those are great organizations, and we're going to talk about Asian carp coming into Lake Michigan. It's huge. I know. It's a big story. Now, see, Heather wants to know what's wrong with Asian carp. Now, I'm thinking for one of your alphabet books, you've got to do uh, an invasive species. A is for Asian carp. L is for longhorn beetle or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no. no, it would be Asian. See, everything would start with Asian, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, you do that. for a honeysuckle. <laughs> what no. D is for dandelion. Uh, no, see, dandelion's not so bad. I mean, it is invasive, but, you know, that, that horse is out of the barn, the dandelion horse. Uh, and, uh, it has been for God knows how long. For, for several centuries. Yeah. It was brought over here, and now you're not going to get rid of it, but that's the point. You get Why would you bring that over? Because people used it as food oh. and wine, and you know that's that's there. You got okay. I haven't beat you over the head enough yet, have I, Heather? No, apparently not. Dandelion is a plant. It can be actually a very useful plant. Um, yes, it does take over our lawns, but when it sends a taproot down, it's one of the things it does is it breaks up that soil. Right. It, and, and it brings calcium to the soil. And one of the reasons it's so, so invasive, it, you know, it usually shows where soil's compacted or it's got a lack of calcium, and that's where a dandelion takes over. Can and, you make wine out of dandelion? Me, I've heard. Per, me personally? No. Not but, you personally, but, but I've, I've, I've heard, heard you can do you can. wine yes, out of dandelion. Absolutely. Uh, so, anyway, so what we'll talk about later in the show, we're going to be talking about. Oh, pollution from power plants uh, in Illinois. Do you know we rank number six? <gasps> Where, wait. All right. Oh. We're, number, we're number six. We're number six. In pollution? In pollution. Who's number one? We'll find that out from uh, Brian Granahan. Um, and we'll talk about nuclear power and how it might actually set us back in our race against global warming. Uh, we'll talk about our waterways, not only the Asian carp, which is threatening to come into Lake Michigan and wreak havoc, but uh, the 230 million pounds of toxics discharged into American waterways. I mean, all, all kinds of fun stuff. So if, if you've got someone under fourth grade, you've got to turn off the show. That's well, well, up, after, until, after up you, until Tim. nine. After you, Tim, yeah. okay. Um, and uh, I will mention a couple of other things later on. Uh, one of the things I want to keep going is the drive on my website, to get 1,000 Facebook fans. For I, think, I think you're at around 600. 
Oh, you win it? You checked it out for the Chicago Recycling I Coalition. It out. Uh, we have, yeah, we are at 655 or something like that. It's, uh, we're moving up. And uh, those of you who are on Facebook, I want you to go to my website, MikeNovak.net, M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net. On the homepage, you'll see a, a blue cart and a black cart. And uh, the uh, headline, Blue Cart Recycling is in Trouble. And that's why we want to get a 1,000 people to be Facebook friends, or actually fans, of the Chicago Recycling Coalition by the 1st of December. So help us out. I, I suggested that page to many of my friends and was very, very enthusiastic when I saw that many of them had joined. That's great. Yeah, yeah a lot yeah. of them have. I mean, I have gotten the word out, and uh, people, every day, we get more and more, and, and, and I'll bet we'll be over 700 by the end of the day. Don't know if we're going to make 1,000 by Tuesday, but uh, we'll give it a go. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then the, the and I understand the city council will be you know discussing the budget this week. Mm -hmm. And next week, uh, Mick Dumkey from the Chicago Reader, who does the uh, Clout City, who contributes to Clout City, and and uh, we talk about environmental issues. We will talk about that stuff next week, right on this show. Uh, so sign up on the Facebook. Um, I should also let you know, Little Green Men, my uh, program that uh, I was part of, uh, is being rebroadcast tonight at 9.30 on WYCC Channel 20. So if you didn't catch Little Green Men when it came out in the summer uh, or spring, whenever it came out before, it, it was, was warm. Were you here? Yes, you were, here. You, were, you were here. Of course, you've been here since February. Yes, it's you've like almost it, had it, me a year. Uh, Scary, isn't it? It is. It's really scary. <laughs> Little Green Men is uh, tonight, 9.30, WYCC Channel 20. All right. What else have I missed? That's all the time we have. Good night, everybody. <laughs> wow. See, Tim, this is how it works. It's that just, was quick. I, got, I know it. We, you know. Painless. It, yeah. You didn't have to say a word, really. Uh, actually, by Tim's book. <laughs> that's it. By Tim's book. Well, okay. Well, that's a good place to start. Uh, but before we do, we have another Tim, and uh, he is... On line one, let's just get all this, the business out of the way, and then we'll turn you loose, Tim Magner. But Amtrak, Tim, good morning. How are you? Doing fine, Mike. What did I see recently? I saw, uh, and, and, and I read an article, Tim, that I, and I was thinking, i got to tell Amtrak Tim about this. It was something about the Amtrak usage in Illinois, how, it's, it's, uh, how much it's increased in the last few years. Well, we've really increased, well, What's happened is we've increased the amount of uh, trains we have and the time, so now it becomes more usable. A lot of times, there's places like Cleveland, Ohio, you can get on the tr get off the train at like three o'clock in the morning, get on the train at two o'clock in the morning. It, it doesn't make any sense. It's unusable for for all practical purposes. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's a lot of those stops are uh, are crazy, or the times. Yeah. But anyway, I wanted to let your uh, listeners know I just came back. Uh, Unfortunately, I, I had a camp out last weekend, so I couldn't call you, but I, I had, uh, last, uh, two weeks ago, I just finished a trip to uh, Wilmington, Delaware, uh, on-time arrival in Washington, D.C., and on-time arrival in Wilmington, Delaware uh, with Amtrak. And was, uh, was uh, uh, Joe Biden on the train with you? No, he wasn't, but, no, he wasn't, but they're doing some work on the station in Wilmington. It looks really nice. Oh, good. Uh, well, the, the guy happens to be vice president now, so yeah, I'm not well, surprised. But also let your listeners know the uh, the steak on the Capitol Limit was excellent. Oh really? Oh yeah, they they added. Uh, I remember we talked a while back. It said they're putting they're putting chefs back on the trains. Yeah. Uh, they now introduced uh, 
Well, they had like it was like a pot roast. It wasn't very good, but they they now have something that's more closer to a steak on the on the Capitol Limited. <laughs> Wait, that oh, that scares me too. When you say something closer to a steak, I mean, what, what are we talking about? I mean, well, I, I don't know if you listened to Mike's show before this, but if it's soy tofu, you really you might you want to be careful about that. No, no, but they do have some <laughs> vegetarian dishes on the train. Actually, every every train's got a vegetarian dish, but it's um. It's more like a, how to describe it. It's not like a like a seared steak, but more of like a marinated steak. Mm-hmm. It's ex- it's very very good. You know, compared to your airline food, some of you people out there uh, still take those things. You mean those bags of peanuts they give you? Yeah, you can have bags of peanuts, or you can have a. That steak. costs five bucks now, a bag of peanuts. It's like it? fifteen. Oh, it's fifteen <laughs> bucks for a bag of peanuts. And it's a twenty-five for and, a half can of soda. And they used to like throw them at you, like yeah. dump them in your lap. <laughs> Come on, yeah. let, we need to get rid of these well, bags of peanuts. We used to ask for a can of soda, and they'd pour it into a little cup, and they'd leave you the can. They don't do that anymore. They pour it in a little cup, and they take the can. And and you know, you know why? Because they're recycling it and making money out of it. That's yeah, where the yeah, airlines are at the moment. Though. They're also charging each, me and the guy in front of me the same price for a half can of Coke. $25. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. But anyway, just to let, you know, let your listeners know, the food is getting very good, and the on-time performance is getting very good. So when, when, when are we getting high-speed rail in Illinois, Tim? You follow this. I follow it really closely. I think what's going to happen first is we're going to get what's called higher speed. We're going to go... There's. The way tracks are made, you can get various um, speed limits on tracks. And right now, uh, the speed limit on the track in Illinois is at 79 miles an hour. Uh huh. The next step is probably to take it to 90 miles an hour. And that would require just the freight railroads and Amtrak working together, making some safety improvements. And we have 90-mile-an-hour rail with a very minimal investment, which is what I'm, I'm in favor of us doing first, to be perfectly honest. Okay, that you know, I'll take an increase in twenty, no, eleven miles an hour. Yep, that works for me. Eleven miles an hour, but it, more importantly, it would it would have the freight railroads and Amtrak work more closely, so you stop getting this freight train interference problem. Yeah, that's that is that the big really deal. Slows down the train. Yeah, because right now the, the, what's keeping the trains from hitting each other is basically nineteen thirties logic. It's it's this, this, this really silly relay logic they're using right now. I was it, yeah. The, what's keeping the trains from hitting each other? Is some guy waving a flag on the tracks. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a little better than that. But it's it's basically relay logic, and yeah. it's time to if we you could get a much higher volume of trains and much faster trains, if we would incorporate things like GPS logic into our train system, it would be a very minimal investment. It sure sounds like it, and that sure makes a lot of sense to me. All right. Well, listen, Tim, thank you for the uh, report. Glad the steak sa- is, uh, tastes good. Um, keep me uh, uh, apprised of uh, uh, more food uh, updates, and uh, we will talk to you soon, buddy. All right. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. That's Amtrak Tim. He's a regular contributor to the Mike Novak Show. If it weren't for him, we wouldn't know what was going on in Not the with trains. Not, Not for, for sure. For sure, for sure. Uh, Tim Magner is in the house. He is the author of several books here, uh, and uh, Heather has her paws on them. Um, and he uh, uh, has an outfit called Green Sugar Press. Is that is Green Sugar Press you, or is there more more than one person involved? Well, it depends who I'm talking with. <laughs> no. I mean, for the most part, it's me and, and, and just grabbing people, independent contractors here and there, right? But then we sign distribution contracts with different companies here and there to help uh-huh. the effort. Uh, 
obviously, uh, well, maybe not so obviously. Are you an environmentalist first or uh, a children's author first? I've never been asked that question. I know. You come on to this show, pal. You're gonna get. You're not getting no softballs here. All right. Well, a lot of times people ask me like, "Why'd you do this?" And while Heather's friends listen to her and and do what she says, a lot of my friends think I'm crazy. <laughs> so I wanted to spend more time with kids. Right. I love. I love spending time with kids, and I saw a need. Right. So I'd spend a lot of time with kids doing a bunch of different things, and I saw a need that one, it's important to get kids outside, engaged in nature. Right, that bond, and then two, I want to make sure all kids grow up understanding how nature works. I think it's pretty important and can teach us a whole, whole lot of important things, especially this 21st century. Do you have kids? No, not yet. Well, get some. Darn it! <laughs> you sound like my mom. Did my mom talk to you before the show? Uh, uh, yeah, she did. She called, as a matter of fact. She, 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 she texted me actually. She's got, 17, she's got 17 grandkids, and, and she wants more. Oh, and, and oh, they well, all then. and they all live in the area. Yeah. Uh, and I've had a lot of different jobs over the years with kids, right? Uh huh. Teaching kids and camp counselor, and so I've spent some time with kids. Well, uh, Tim has written three books here. And they're, each of them is, is uh, targeted for different age groups. Um, the first one that I've got is uh, an environmental guide from A to Z, and I've got that sitting, right, uh, and so does Heather. She's so happy now. She's going to They're great. Um, These really are. Um, and, I, and I didn't, you know, I didn't twist your arm and make you bring... Uh, freebies for Heather. She just happens to be here. You didn't even know she was my producer. So no, we met in the conference room this morning. Yeah, that was it. Mm -hmm. What I love. We already agreed. We're, we're charging Heather double. Okay. Uh, what I love about this environmental guide from A to Z. Now, this is again ages eight to thirteen. So the kids have to be kind of sophisticated. I would think not all kids are going to get this. Right, because it's got concepts in there. Yeah, like um, my. Favorite. In fact, Heather and I were both looking at D is for Darwin. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was a tough one to do. Yeah. I'll bet it was because uh, you're never going to sell this book in Texas. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? No, they're very creationism down there. Oriented. Yes. Um, I, I have a friend who, who um, writes uh, educational materials. And you know that the educational materials in this country are dictated by three states. Yes. New York. Texas and California. And the companies within those states. Right. And when they have, well, I don't know if they're just within the states. Some of them are uh, national, I would assume, or even multinational. But the point is that uh, because there are so many children in those states, the, 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 the rules for the rest of the country are set up by the publications that come out of those states. And if you write in, uh, about educational stuff in Texas, there's stuff you can't say. For instance, you're never going to see the word witch, W-I-T-C-H. Even though, uh, I know, and you're frowning, Heather, because you're a huge Halloween fan. Yeah. But again, who it's, isn't? It's the it, the religious restrictions. You know, things like that. You you can't. You got to dodge those things. Darwin? Ha! I'm trying to imagine Darwin being in that. But so you've got D is for Darwin. And I spent 14 years in Catholic schooling. Catholic oh, wow. schools. Wow. Yeah, but that's different. Yeah. Uh, the the Catholics are, are much more on board with that than the fundamentalists. The Catholics seem to think, oh, you know, there's, they don't see, I, as far as I know, and I could be wrong about this, I don't think they see the, the uh, mutual exclusivity of, 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 of uh, evolution and God. 
Yeah. I don't think they see it as a threat. If they saw it as a threat to their institution, then they come down on it pretty hard. But as long as it's not going to stop people from coming to church on Sunday, the Catholics won't care. So anyway, the point is, uh, to begin with, you know what you're getting when you get this book. But this is not the only... And by the way, um, uh, I love your L is for Paolo Lugari. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Q? What? Q is for Vaux-Qui. Hailed as the hero for bringing back birds to Vietnam after the wars. R is for reduce and reuse. You're a forward-thinking guy. Great. I mean, this is going to get kids right on board at an impressionable age. You know, not the earliest age because mm-hmm. a lot of these concepts are a little too sophisticated for the youngest kids. Right. Now, how did how did you did, how do you you know how do you know that this will work for eight to thirteen year olds? Uh, what kind of... I mean, we talked with a lot of different people uh-huh. beforehand. And what's funny is, even when we had, like, the advanced review copies, and I went to different teachers, and I went to a bunch of different librarians, including Chicago Public Library, where I spent a bunch of time, and one of the librarians, and I'll never forget it, when she said, well, I couldn't recommend this book because it's not specific enough. And I said, well, that's that's kind of the point. And she explained her thinking was, well... It's not a book on trees because it's only got a little little piece here and there on trees. It's not a piece on recycling because it's just got a little piece on recycling. And I said, we've got too many specialists and not enough generalists. So if you're a first grader and they're teaching you about recycling, you don't understand necessarily why we're learning about recycling. Oh, it's good for the earth. But a first grader, second grader, it's hard to... It's hard to love the earth. It's easy to love the habitat right outside, the squirrels outside, and maybe your native garden you're planting outside. But I wanted to do something that, like, spread across everything so that they could get a little piece of everything and understand the connections. And V is for vegetarians. Uh, again. Well, vegetables and vegetarians. <laughs> and and that, that caller earlier was pretty interesting on the, on the soy piece. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, Mike Sanders, uh, uh, Our Town, uh, if you missed that before. Wow. Mike, do me a favor. If, you, if you're wandering around there, give me the, the, the name of the organization again, and uh, I, will, uh, I will get people to, uh, to log on to that so they can learn more about it. So, yes. Oh, the Weston A. Price. Foundation. The Weston A. Price yep. Foundation, Weston a. and and if you you log in there, you'll find all about the the soy and soy and the, perhaps some of the dangers of too much soy and alternatives and alternatives. Okay, thanks, Mr. Sanders. And, uh, yeah, that was interesting. Um, by the way, this is the Mike Novak Show on Chicago's Progressive Talk, AM and FM. Tim Magner is in the studio. He has written some books for kids. Uh, you're welcome to call 773-838-9278. And uh, especially if you're from the state of Texas, give us a holler. 773-838-WCPT. Um, let me take a short break, and then we'll talk about the two other books that, that you've got here. Um, Tim, the frenzied days of gift shopping and holiday parties are here. SIDS Greenhouses and Garden Center can help you get through these times with great gifts plus home and party decor. It's okay, really. You've been through this. Everybody's been disappointed by a grocery store poinsettia. And it's interesting. I was thinking about that as I went through the grocery store the other day. Now, here's something that I don't know if either of you know about. Tim and Heather. Um, and you go to a grocery store and you see flowers. Where do they put them? They put them next to the produce, 
right? Mm -hmm. Do you know that's the absolute worst place you can put flowers? Why? No. Ethylene gas that comes off of certain vegetables. Vegetable. Well, m yeah, and fruits like apples. Mm -hmm. You know, put the flowers right next to the apples. So what it's doing is shortening the life of the flower in the store. Interesting. Oh. Yeah, I read this in a book called Flower Confidential. I had the, the author on last year, and uh, I went, of course, that makes perfect sense. Well, that's not going to happen at SIDS. And, you know, it makes me wonder if the poinsettias react the same way. I'm not sure, because the, the bloom on a pro, uh, poinsettia is really a bract. Uh, and I won't get into too much detail, but we'll get back to the SIDS spot it's here. Pretty. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this year send a real florist quality poinsettia from SIDS greenhouses where they don't have apples to uh, to make their lives shorter. They deliver throughout the entire Chicagoland area, and in addition to poinsettias, they also have gift baskets custom made to order. So get your list of family, friends, and businesses associates together today. Call SIDS tomorrow, and it's done already. SIDS can also help with home party decorating. Fresh seasonal centerpieces will add a special touch to your holiday table. Plus, Sid's entire stock of lifelike Christmas trees, decorations, and ornaments up to 60% off this week. And the fresh cut trees. Now, see, that's what I really want you, you know. Uh, you know, you can get the, uh, the phony baloney stuff, but if you go on my website, this week, MikeNovak.net, go to this week's show, uh, at the, scroll down to the bottom, and you're going to find my tips on getting an organic Christmas tree, uh, an eco-friendly Christmas tree. Uh, and, uh, and when you go to SIDS, that would be my recommendation. Get the real deal. Uh, visit SIDSonline.com to download the coupon to save $15 off your next purchase at SIDS. SIDS, Chicagoland's premier garden centers, are located in Palos Hills on Southwest Highway and in Bolingbrook on Naper Plainfield Road at Hassert Boulevard. Now, you, you know, we're talking about it right now. You know, Christmas is already here. Well, it is if you head up to Burlington, Wisconsin to see Christmas at the farm. It's a real Christmas experience, one that you can share with your sweetie or with your kids. One that will have you saying years from now, remember when we went to Christmas on the farm? Head out to North Wind Perennial Farm, just north of Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and west of Burlington. This century-old dairy farm, which during the growing season produces some of the finest perennial plants in the Midwest, courtesy of the inimitable Roy Diblick, undergoes a transformation for the holidays. The vintage barn becomes filled with fabulous ornaments and gifts by local artists. There are garden containers and spectacularly decorated fresh evergreen wreaths. Yes, the weather may be nippy. And you'll need to dress for it, but hey, it's Christmas in Wisconsin. And that's why there's a fire pit where you can warm your hands, cook marshmallows. If you listened last week and Roy talked about the dads that kind of get in control of the marshmallow cooking. <laughs> Not the moms, it's the dads. And uh, you can look out over the spectacular scenery. It runs now through December 13th. It's an easy trip from Chicago and suburbs. Christmas at the farm for information and directions. Call 262-248-8229. Better yet, check them out on the web, northwindperennialfarm.com. Christmas at the farm. You will never forget it. They used to walk, they used to swim, they used to fly with a toothy grin. 
Some ate plants and some ate meat. Some walked around on just two feet. Or the dinosaurs, big ass trees. Dinosaurs, brains like peas, jaws and claws and teeth and bones. That used to growl and groan and moan. Although we really don't know that for sure. Yeah. There are no audio recordings from. No. They made, I'm sure they that. made some sort of noise. Uh, the, well, I'm sure they did too. Yeah. But it might have been. We not, we just don't know. Yeah. But, That's kind of the noise they make in a song, but. Uh. But as you can see, Tim Magner, D is for dinosaur. Uh, and that's uh, from Big Green Rabbit. That's that song. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a good they, song. They, the their, mu mu their music is excellent. The music is excellent, which is why I drew my son and I in. We were looking online for dinosaur cartoons for him yeah. to watch because he loved dinosaurs. I we, love dinosaurs. We stumbled on that one. It was on YouTube and then led us to the website and then it was love at first click. Uh, and Tim, if, as I mentioned before, is the author of uh, books for kids and, and, and let's face it. These would make great holiday gifts. These are wonderful stocking stuffers. Uh, sure. Stocking stuffer, well, you stretch that yeah, stocking, well. baby. It's uh, these are larger than that, yeah. but uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, the uh, illustrations it, are beautiful. They, too. Yeah, and then you had different illustrators for each book. How did that work out? It worked out pretty well. I mean, how did it I mean, happen? Why? Why is it different? Well, because I had so many to choose from. I had so many. Like one of the, one of the ways I got illustrators was going to the School of Art Institute. And we just posted a, a job posting on there, and then three weeks later, we had a hundred different illustrators, graduates of the School of Art Institute of Chicago, who said, "Yeah, we'd love to illustrate books." You just put a wow, that's cool. That's how we got two out of three. We got one a, a, a different avenue. Okay, but it worked out. It worked out really well, and two of them were two of them are still local. Uh huh. So we could sort of check them out as they were as they were in progress, and. Right, we had the printer who's actually not too far from here on the sort of the South Loop, the last big printer in Chicago, Service Web Offset, who did the printing so they could walk us through the whole whole piece of it. So, and and these are hardcover books. I should yep. mention, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, so the kids can uh, they'll be, take a they'll take a they'll take the hit. Yeah, they'll yeah. take the hit and keep on ticking. Mm -hmm. um, and is for nature is an environmental alphabet book. It's one of the books, and that's for the the smallest the youngest kids, the youngest right. kids. Um, and you're you're a little more um conventional although you got you know b is for bees mm -hmm. although a is for amazon rainforest it's not for asian carp it's no. for amazon rainforest e e is for earthworm d is for dinosaurs we said g is for great apes and of course you've got the 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 pictures are in the shape of uh uh, My well, favorite not is the a, next not, one. Look at the iceberg. That I love cool. yeah, that's, that's I is for iceberg. And it's this long iceberg that's below the surface mostly. Yep. Um, and uh, on and on and on. And then the middle book is Earl the Earthworm digs for his life. Uh, and this is to get kids interested in paying attention to what's around them. I would think you know in the yeah, ground. that's right. No on and in the it. ground. Yeah, the coming of age story of a of an earthworm. I love the idea of coming of age story. <laughs> Does he molt? <laughs> you know, no, we, pro we probably give him more credit than than he's than he's due. But as you know, earthworms are important. Yeah, yeah, they do a whole heck of a lot of goods for us. 
And so it kind of teaches the, the connections, some of the connections. Like just by doing what earthworms do, digging and eating and pooping, they're helping out the bees and the plants and the grass and yeah. the ants, everything around us. Yeah, it, well, yeah, we know that the, um, you know, if you listen to this show and I talk about soil, and tilth of soil is very important. And if you've got earthworms uh, and redworms in there, too, if you look in your compost pile, it's not so much the earthworms as it is the red wigglers that do the composting work. And it's weird. They just show up. You know, you start putting that stuff. I don't know where they come from. Yeah, you know, I know you can buy red wigglers, but they got to come from someplace. And, and if you start a compost pile in your yard, they will come. They will be there. Uh, we have a uh, a phone call. Yes. On line His one. His name is Dan, uh -huh. and he's worked with uh, educational publications in the past. Hey, Dan, you're on the Mike Novak show. Uh, hi, Mike. I've talked to you before, and uh, I'm calling today about the the book because uh, the problem that he encountered at the public library, which is. Uh, you know, classify this as a book about this or that, and, and uh, the inherent contradiction there is in that. And uh, we had to deal with that in setting up, uh, we had a federal grant uh, project in 73 in South Shore High School in Chicago. And um, we ran into problems at both ends. One was uh, uh, the, the teaching, uh, the, the guide for teachers to uh, to uh, to negotiate between separate uh, issues and the way they fit together. And uh, the other end of that was that the materials that we had at that end were uh, trying to uh, cover everything at once. So the students uh, at their various reading levels found it very, very difficult to uh, to negotiate these books. And uh, so, so we kind of used the same. I, I developed a system that worked for the teachers and for the students to uh, break down uh, each each paragraph uh, or the whole book or a chapter into uh, in, into tracking what the different subjects resources effects solutions and so forth there were there were several categories and they could fill those out and they and we had terrific success and it was uh, it was modeled at the time they had a, a meeting uh, for all the schools and uh, so anyway there is a history to that and there is solutions and I've I've since been kind of updating that and ready to to launch it. So I don't know if uh, I could get in touch or deal with that. It sounds like, you know, you don't have the problem of not being at, at the students' reading levels. Uh, you know, you've got that lex and you're writing on a, right. on a, on a basis. But uh, if, I don't know how big the problem is for dealing with school systems, but uh, there's a way to interface an integrated book with the non-integrated books. Yes. And, uh, it it's, I agree. Yeah. And I will say that we've had the most the most success, well, a lot of success in schools and with library sales. So in that with that particular book, Environmental Guide from A to Z, it covers a lot. Uh-huh. And when I speak with different teachers and how they use the, the book, they're not necessarily covering everything in one day. And we do have a, a teacher guide that we've done, and, and we modeled it with, so we put all Good. sorts of activities together for teachers for grades three to five. So it's the, they're all based on the Illinois State Learning Standards, one through 27. So we've got right. different activities. And the goal is initially to get these kids to understand where they live, who lives with us, and then how it all works. Right. So you can do more than just science when you talk about environmental education. You can do reading, writing, math, social studies, like understanding 
the the school history or, or the the habitats of the school the school's history you can do writing on that you can do reading you can when you're doing a schoolyard garden you can map it out you can chart you can graph so you can teach across the spectrum yeah in the curriculum Good. that sounds terrific you know uh dan you can yeah. you can get a hold of tim at green sugar press i'm sure the contact information is there yes tim uh and that's www.greensugarpress.com uh, and it's just uh, spelled it's spelled just the way it sounds, Green Sugar Press. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah, you guys should uh, engage in a little conversation because I'm sure that uh, you've got more books in mind, I would assume, Tim. Yes. Um, and, uh, Dan, well, you could give them some help if you've already been down that road. Yeah, and there's more interfaces. You know, you can interface out into the community and to industry and to new projects. It's just, it's just kind of open-ended at this point, the way, you know, we've tracked things out. So, yeah, that'd be great. Dan, you, you know, you're using a kind of a jargony uh, uh, educational word, interface, there. Uh, oh. I, you know, <laughs> I is for interface. Uh, is, that's going to be the next level of Well, level. and what's funny is interface is one of my favorite companies in the world. And they're actually mentioned in the in the R piece. Interface is the big billion dollar carpet company that is all about reducing waste and pollution. Right. Right. And yeah, I mean it's a, it's a generic uh, proper, you know, common noun, but it also yes, is a, a little thing. Well, anyway, you're, it seems like you're yeah, we 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 should uh, talk. Uh, great. Thanks, okay. Dan. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks for calling, Dan. Have a great one. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's the Mike Novak show in Chicago's Progressive Talk AM and FM. Um, and uh, I've got uh, Tim Magner in the studio, and he uh, has written three books um, for kids that you might want to get a hold of uh, for the holiday season. Um, you know, kids want toys, but um, this will last longer and have more of an impact. You know, uh, I was thinking the other day, watching the news, and I don't know how you react to this, but I get tense uh, when I watch news stories over the weekend. Um, um, about how all we do is consume uh, in in this uh, country, and that Black Friday is our whole reason for being. Um, and I just get annoyed. Yeah. Um, I think. I uh, thought maybe when you were talking about the news story, you're going to talk about Tiger Woods again. No, no, no. That's that was one of the things. That one's just kind of makes you go. Bleh. Uh, but the other one makes me. You know, it's a reason I watch um, uh, the Daily Show at 10 p.m. and not local news because of the garbage that people put out. Oh, by the way, you know, I know Heather, you're ha not having any luck at all. It oh. says it says I need a password. To access the local weather forecast. Uh, I, we don't uh, have Rick DeMaio here today. Um, and it's see, all falling apart. Heather, whose job is this? <laughs> who's Rick. The, who, who, who's the producer of the show? I'm working on it. Um, you can't get me a weather forecast? Not the one you specifically asked for, well, no. I just said National Weather Service. That'd be great since we don't have Rick here today. And there, the, you click on the local weather link, I, I and they ask for a password. You know, you can, you know, you navigate yourself around Facebook. Oh, look at this. Yeah, but I can't read it. Okay, what is this? Your iPhone? Oh my gosh. Kim gives me his iPhone with the weather forecast on it. Uh, so temperature is 45. Uh, Sunday, mostly cloudy, patchy fog early in the morning, a 30% chance of light rain. Am I supposed to scroll this? I'll lose it if it... Oh, now I have lost it. <laughs> Here, I'll I, find I, it. I'll I have, find I it. I have no idea how to work one of these things. When kids ask me what, what the weather is all about, I say, go outside, 
check it out. Well, that's that's it. As Dylan says, you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind but blows. But my producer should be able to find a forecast. Producer, you're not... Your mic is shut off until you find a forecast. <laughs> that's it. That's cool. It. it is. That's the way it works here. It's, wow, it's ruthless. It is. Yes, I am. Is. No, no, no mic for you until you find me a forecast. All right. <laughs> and I don't want it on Tim's iPhone either. All right. Tim uh, is with Green Sugar Press. He's written an environmental guide from A to Z. Um, Earl the earthworm digs for his life, and N is for nature, an environmental alphabet book. Uh, and uh, they're all excellent. And uh, I hope. Uh, how, how are sales doing so far? When, when did uh, when on did Earth Day? So just about six months ago. They all came out on the same day. Exactly. Yeah. I figured as long as we're going to do it, we may as well go go big. That's time. a great. I mean, we a waited a couple months to go on Amazon, yeah. and we did a lot of local stuff, and then we shipped to different museums and, and spot, spots all over the country. But once it's gone to Amazon, it's it's done great. And then again, the the schools and libraries, and I love visiting. Schools, right? Talking with kids about nature. I mean, sometimes it's the fifth and sixth graders, and the teachers want to, hey, what's your life as a writer? What's it like writing? Can you give us some experiences and, and can you give us some suggestions on how to help writing? But there's always nature in the about how cool nature is and how much fun it is to get outside and play. And, and, that's, and that's kind of the idea is that get kids away from their iPhones. Yep. And they're PDAs, and they don't have PDAs. They're whatever. Do you have a forecast for me? Am I allowed to turn your mic on? I don't see the full forecast there. I just see little boxes. You know, I can get the Channel 7 thing uh, <laughs> by watching Channel 7, all right? Uh, I want a real forecast. Poor your, your, your mic is not going back on. Um, you and I can talk consumption. Yeah, well, actually, I've got, um, uh, I think we we need to move on here, actually, uh, because, uh, in fact, that's the other thing, Heather, uh, is Brian Granahan here? So if, if he is, let's uh, drag him into the studio as well. So if you're interested in these great books for your kids, uh, contact uh, Tim. Well, you don't actually have to contact. You just go to Green Sugar Press. Right. And you can order them there. Are, are they in any bookstores? Oh, yeah. And what's nice is, in addition to the independent bookstores like uh, the bookstall up in Winnetka, we've got them in spots that you, you'd think of, like the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum, which helped on a couple of the books, and like Garfield Park. But we've also got them in like, uh, a couple grocery stores like Green Grocer in Westtown or uh -huh. True Nature Foods up in, in Uptown, where I can go actually and barter for food. We trade books for food. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's See, cool. See, that, that, there's a, there's a, yeah, that's, a great, that's a great tradition. All right, Tim Magner, uh, author, go to Green Sugar Press. It's on my website. You can link there. Thank you for coming Thanks down on early Thanks, on a Sunday. And, Easy. Uh, keep me posted, all right? Thanks, Heather. Uh, here's a, her mic's not on yet. Uh, here's a tip from the Care of Trees, and you better go get my next guest, too. I mean, if you can't find a forecast. Yeah, so oh. you read it down at the bottom there. Uh-huh. Yeah, so you see. You got skillings. Thanks. <laughs> oh, you're busted. You are so busted. Here's a tip from the care of trees. Are you thinking of lighting your trees for the holiday season? Um, everyone enjoys the beauty of uh, holiday lighting. Uh, but dealing with seasonal lights and decorations can add more stress to an already busy time of year, not to mention stress to your trees. This season, leave your holiday lighting to the care of trees. Their lighting package includes a professional design setup, takedown, and storage of your holiday lighting and decorations, and they do it while protecting the health of your trees. With nine locations, the Care of Trees has been serving Chicagoland for 60 years. The Care of Trees shares your 
enthusiasm for the many ways trees enhance the quality of your life. And the care of trees combines that joy with a dedication to the utmost in client care, putting you and your trees first. Make the care of trees your permanent partner in enhancing the value of your landscape. Whether you want to make sure all is well with the trees in your yard or you're changing your landscaping, invite the certified arborist at the Care of Trees to take a look. See thecareoftrees.com or call 847-394-4220. 847-394-4220. The Care of Trees, their business is people and their love for trees. Logan Square's Cafe Bella is all about wonderful food at highly affordable prices. There are Latin, French, and Italian influences in Chef Cesar Casas' decadent sandwiches and wraps, bruschetta and mango-fused guacamole, all served with great coffee. For the tilapia provençal or salmon filet, you may want to BYOB. Cafe Bella, 3311 West Fullerton, just east of Kimball. Go to cafebellaonline.com or call 773-292-5040. Cafe Bella, for gourmet, healthy eating. 23 countries, one question. What is God? Filmmaker Peter Rogers' enlightening new docu-journey, Oh My God, tries to answer humankind's most fundamental question. Join WCPT and the Mindful Live Community Event Series for the only Chicago screening of the film, Oh My God, Thursday, December 3rd at Unity in Chicago. This film travels the globe, examining the idea of God through the eyes of various religions, cultures, everyday people, spiritual leaders, and celebrities. A panel discussion follows. For more information, click on events at chicagosprogressivetalk.com. You know you're uh, you're on, you're on the bad girl Can list I talk here. Now? No. Oh, Santa's not coming then. I've no, been naughty. Santa, you've been naughty. No. All right. Here's your forecast. That uh, courtesy of Tom Skilling. I know it's the best one I can get for detail. You just you know what what do they do? What is? I went to National Weather Service. They they prompted first. What cell does phone. Jessica do on on Saturday? Have you ever talked to you know they? Jake's show gets, I mean, it, without Rick DeMaio, we collapse into a heap. Is that, is that what's going on here? Yes. Yes, we do. Right. We love Rick DeMaio, and he is the best meteorologist in Chicago. He is. He is. And I wish he were here. Yes. I wish he was live in person, I wouldn't have to shut have to off your mic. To you. No, 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 no. <laughs> see, see how easy I just shut off the mic. It's so easy. Uh. I am in control. Uh, looking, well, let's do that forecast. Sunday. Uh, readings start out in the upper 30s and clouds slowly thicken and then lower in the morning with scattered light showers developing. Winds begin light from the southwest but shift northwest by mid-morning and gradually increase. Widely scattered light showers or sprinkles in the afternoon. North to northwest winds at 10 to 20 miles per hour. Late in the afternoon, the sun breaks through and skies gradually clear. The lows drop into the lower 30s overnight. Monday, flurries is what it says. Oh, my goodness. And a high of 38. A little better on Tuesday, high of 47. And then the bottom falls out. Thursday, 29. Friday, 28. That's not the bottom falling out. But for this time of year and for us, yeah, it is. Um, by next week, you are going to know how to do a backup if Rick DeMaio is not here. No, by next week, I'm going to create my own login and account with the National Weather Service and never have to hear you gripe about it again. <laughs> you can do whatever you want as long as I have my weather, Missy. Okay. Looking for the perfect holiday gift in the, for the gardener in your life? You can't do any better than a subscription to Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. This 
is the Garden Magazine for our region, which means this part of the Midwest. In addition to the consistently excellent articles on everything from spectacular gardens you should know to plant and gardener profiles, there are regular features like Ask the Experts, What to Do in the Garden, Your Gardening Questions, Regional Reports, and the most comprehensive list of garden-related events in the Midwest. Of course, you can find Chicagoland Gardening Magazine in your local store or garden center. More than 800 new newsstand locations have been added in the last couple of months, but why make your friends leave the house to get the latest issue when they can have it delivered to their homes? There's even a guy named Mike who writes a column in the back of the magazine that is rumored to be pretty funny, but you can't believe everything you hear. Let your loved ones and friends decide for themselves this holiday season. Go online to chicagolandgardening.com or give the office a call during business hours, 866-806-1498. This year, give the gift of gardening. This is the Mike Novak Show on Chicago's Progressive Talk AM and FM. And I see you did find our our next guest, Brian Granahan. How you doing, Brian? I'm good. How are you, Mike? I'm all right. This is the part of the show where we scare the dickens out of people, right? <laughs> I, well, possibly. Uh, uh, yeah, well, we don't know. I mean, for, we started out with, you know, the kids' books, and uh, and it's, you know, D is for Darwin, and, <laughs> and and as we said earlier, A is for Asian carp. Um, but actually, that's later in the show. And that will scare people, too, I'm sure. That uh, really will. Uh, but Brian Granahan is from Environment, Illinois. He's been on the show before. Um, and... He wrote me last week, and and, uh, and it's interesting because I follow the stuff you send out and um, and the reports. You've been doing various reports, and he finally said, uh, you know, Mike, uh, there's a lot going on, and um, we ought to talk about some of this. So um, we are. <laughs> you know, I mean, I hardly know where to start. You've you got a report on nuclear power. you got a report on um, pollution from power plants in Illinois. Right. Uh, give us an overview uh, of, of, because we're going to be buttoned up against news in about four minutes, but um, um, an overview of, of what's been happening, in, uh, especially in Illinois, mm-hmm. uh, environmental matters. Well, there's, there's three main things that I think are going on right now, and uh, a lot of them have big impacts here in Illinois. Uh, one of them involved uh, hearings that took place here in Illinois just a couple of weeks ago, um, but one's federal and one's international. Number one, you've got a bill in the Senate right now that would set up a, cap, a hard cap on, co- on carbon emissions, uh, economy-wide cap on carbon emissions, uh, that we think is the best thing we can do, the single best thing we can do to address global warming in this country. Uh, the second thing you have is an international climate summit coming up in Copenhagen starting December 7th. Uh, President Obama will be out there December 9th. It'll go through December 18th. The hope there is that we'll start making headway toward an international framework for curbing carbon emissions. Then the third thing is that the U.S. EPA is now starting to take steps forward in uh, regulating carbon emissions from different sources, like automobiles, like coal-fired power plants, oil refineries, large source polluters. And there were hearings that were, were held by the EPA just this past, I think it was the 17th of November, the 19th of November, in Rosemont, Illinois. I think it was the 19th. Yeah, the, yeah. the 19th and the 18th was Arlington, Virginia. There were two hearings nationally. Uh, as part of this rulemaking process that took place around the country. One was in Arlington, Virginia on the 18th, and then you had hearings in Rosemont on the 19th. Uh, Environment Illinois, Illinois Sierra Club, Union Concerned Scientists, a lot of allied groups uh, had a whole big day of events, brought people in to testify. Uh, You ended up with 165 people turning out to this conference center in Rosemont for EPA hearings, which are kind of a a dry and bland thing. So it shows there's a lot of public support behind this. 
Uh, all of this is starting to come together right now. And uh, so we think, you know, the window is closing in terms of when we can actually take significant action on global warming. It's closing from a scientific standpoint, and it may be closing from a political standpoint. Uh, so it's important. Yeah, I mean, that's that's part of the problem. Isn't that always a problem, though? It's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, we've got this problem that needs to be solved, and... You know, we've got to do elections. Elections are so important. I think, you know, the way we work in this country, basically we lurch from election cycle to election cycle mm -hmm. and hope that in the interim... <clears throat> something gets done. Yeah, and, and I have this saying that I've been saying for a while now, which is there's too much politics in politics, which is sadly, <laughs> I think, true. Um, it just becomes too political. And the closer you get to this upcoming midterm election, uh, the more politicized everything surrounding climate change will become, and the more difficult it will be for moderate members to take hard votes. Well, if you uh, want to weigh in, anybody who's listening, uh, we're going to be talking some environmental issues, and then Josh Mogerman from uh, Natural Resources Defense Council is going to be here and talk about Asian carp. Uh huh. Seven seven three eight three eight nine two seven eight seven seven three eight three eight WCPT. Uh, I'd love to uh, to get folks involved. Uh, we're going to continue this conversation uh, after the news at the top of the hour. That's uh, Brian Granahan you just heard. He's from Environment, Illinois. And if you go to my website, you can see some of the press releases and some of the issues they've been dealing with. MikeNovak.net. Go to this week's show uh, and log on. And then join the conversation. Give us a call. 773-838-9278. CNN News is next. You're listening to WCPT's Self-Help Sundays. Four hours of home improvement help for inside and outside your home. 820 WCPT AM Willow Spring. 92.7 WCPT FM Arlington Heights. 92.5 FM WCPY DeKalb. And 99.9 FM WCPQ Park Forest. Self-Help Sundays on WCPT AM and FM. Chicago's Progressive Talk. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show, Chicago's only locally broadcast green, gardening, and environment program. This hour of the Mike Novak Show is brought to you by SIDS Greenhouses, Chicagoland's premier garden centers, and by The Care of Trees, our business's people and their love for trees, and by WRD Environmental, creating sustainable landscapes since 1997. Podcasts of this program, along with green tips, valuable links, and DeMaio weather, are a click away at MikeNovak.net. That's M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net. Now here's the man who's greeting your world one corny joke at a time, Mike Novak. I'm not sure what she meant by that. Uh, welcome back to the second big hour on Soft Serve Sunday. I'm your host, Mike Novak. At 10 o'clock, of course, we have Mighty House with Ron Cowgill and Joe Builder. Um, they've been rocking lately. They just, uh, you know, they, they the stuff they've been covering has just been great. And uh, I know people jumping in and complimenting them and tell them how wonderful they are. It doesn't hurt my feelings at all. This is uh, this the way these things go. Uh, but I'm, uh, I got a couple of heavy hitters in the studio today, um, and I'm very happy to, as, as, as you heard before the top of the hour, if you were around at that point, uh, Brian Granahan from Environment Illinois is here, and uh, 
Josh Mogerman has also uh, wandered in the door, and so we decided to to let him be part of this. I'm going to start. Well, say hi first, Josh. Good morning. It's great to be here. Uh, it's great to have you here. And he is from the NRDC, Natural Resources Defense Council, um, and both gentlemen have been on the program before talking about environmental issues, and I'm I'm really glad to have you here because there's a lot going on. I mean, there's always a lot going on, but... This is a point, what's interesting about right now, Brian, you, you mentioned this uh, before we went to the break. We're at a point where we're actually going to see policy determined. This is our, this little sliver, this little window, the little, little uh, window of opportunity where you can actually have real policy determined before we get into the nonsense that is political mm -hmm. uh, life in America. Um, and we got a lot of stuff on the table. Mostly, you started with the cap and trade. The 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 the, um, the bill in, that has already passed the House of Representatives and and will now be delayed by the Senate because that's what they do so well. Uh, mm -hmm. But since you started talking about that, that is something that um, uh, President Obama is using as a jumping off point for the talks in Copenhagen, isn't he? Uh, yeah. Sorry, my fault. <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah, he's committed the U.S., uh, as we understand it, to 17% uh, reduction in carbon emissions by 2020 from 2005 levels mm -hmm. uh, for the Copenhagen negotiations. That's that reflects the goals that are set forth in the Senate or in the House legislation uh, that was passed in late June. The Senate legislation, at least as it stood previously, is a little bit more aggressive than that. It was saying 20% reductions off 2005 levels by 2020. Um, but at least for the for the purposes of Copenhagen, those negotiations, he's willing to commit the U.S. to 17% reduction in, in carbon emissions. Well, do, do, do you actually see a hope of a, uh, the Senate version being the one that ends up in the final bill? Uh, I think there's a good chance of that. There's a lot of open questions right now about what's going to happen on the Senate side. You know, when this bill was in the Environment and Public Works Committee, all the Republicans basically just walked out of the room. They boycotted negotiations over it. Um, and they did so saying that the EPA hadn't done a thorough enough analysis of it. Uh, but the EPA had analyzed the bill. They're analyzing the bill now. Uh, there's lots of component parts that have to go through committees on the Senate side. Uh, we don't really know what the whole assembly is going to be on the floor in the Senate. So we're not sure exactly what parts are going to survive, what's going to be left on the cutting room floor. Um, what sorts of concessions leadership might want to make. And uh, as a result of that, while we think it's, it's, it's really important to get a cap-and-trade system in place and to do it in this narrow window that we have available, um, there's a lot of unanswered questions. It's one of the reasons why we've been releasing a lot of these reports. Uh, we released a report, um, I think it was two weeks ago, called Generating Failure, how nuclear power will actually set us back in the race against global warming. And the idea behind this is that a lot of Republicans right now are saying uh, we should be building 100 new nuclear power plants across the country. And that would cost about $600 billion. But the reality is, if you spent that $600 billion on things like energy efficiency and clean energy through solar power and wind power, uh, uh, you would get significantly more benefits in terms of carbon emission reductions, but you'd also get them online much more quickly, and that would do far more to uh, help the fight against global warming than building a whole bunch of new nuclear reactors would. So we've got to make sure that we're fighting back against these bad ideas, while at the same time trying to push forward and get a bill passed and get the framework in place. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine how building all kinds of nuclear reactors is a good idea given that we have no idea what to do with the waste mm -hmm. and that they are fraught with safety um, problems um, you know and that what's amazing is that hasn't changed in what 30 years um, it would be interesting if somebody came forward and said hey I've got a whole new way of, of dealing with the nuclear question that nobody's thought of but basically we're dealing with 30-year-old technology that nobody has 
as far as I know, updated. I haven't seen anything. Is there any sense of this at all? Well, um, you know, the way that we're approaching it, at least, is that if you take them on their own terms, and these are people who claim to be fiscally conservative or fiscally responsible, if you take them on their own terms, this is a really fiscally irresponsible solution. So. We have the waste issue. The waste issue is an enormous issue, especially here in Illinois. We have about twice as much nuclear waste as any other state outside of Pennsylvania. And where is it right now? Uh, it's usually being held in storage casks near the facilities themselves that are temporary holding areas for about 30 to 50 years, I understand it. So you have these big casks that have these tubes of nuclear waste uh, inserted into them, and that's not a permanent long-term solution. And if we're going to find a permanent long-term solution, it may involve transporting that waste somewhere, which brings, the, brings with it a whole host of risks. Aren't we supposed to give it to Utah or Nevada and just bury it? You know, there's that's 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 long. I know. Let's shoot it into outer space. <laughs> you know, let, I know even better. Let's have Superman take it into outer and space throw it into the sun. and throw it into the sun. <laughs> that would be awesome. Why didn't we think of that before? <laughs> I, I don't sure think it worked in Superman too. <laughs> oh, it didn't work in Superman no, too. No. Oh, okay, that's. You know, Josh Mogerman, you've been here with everything Brian Granahan says. Uh, you keep nodding. Um, um, just jump in well, here. I, with I, that. I'm struck by, you know, this is, has been very politicized. And it's interesting to see that right now environmentalists seem to be uh, on the conservative side at the moment. Uh, it, th this idea of the, uh, the, the, the fiscal outlay that it requires to do uh, nuclear and actually, to, at this point, a lot of other more conventional power sources, um, energy efficiency is the cheapest way to get uh, to get the power that we need. It's the it is a scalable resource, and it's something that we haven't embraced appropriately uh, in the United States. All right, well, all right, let's stop right there. Energy efficiency. What what are we talking about when you say energy efficiency? More cold beer and air conditioning for less uh, less energy spent, less kilowatt hours. It's it's using the energy. <laughs> cold beer, did yeah. you say? Colder, colder beer. <laughs> Absolutely, you got got to put it in terms that people care about. So, so you're saying that 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 uh, we just get some of those Coors uh, beers and they will refrigerate uh, the country in the hot places. The ones that turn blue when they're cold. Exactly, that's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, we need to be smarter about the way we use the energy we produce. Uh, we produce a lot of energy that's, that's wasted. Uh, it's wasted in the ways that our, uh, that our refrigerators work, in the, in the ways that our TVs work, um, and at a much larger scalable utility level, there are huge savings that we can be uh, garnering throughout the country, and it's the, the cheapest way uh, to, to really tackle our energy problems. And I think, I think to follow up on that, if you look at how a utility works, it makes more money the more power it sells us, yeah. and that's not in the public's interest. In the public's interest is reducing the amount of power that we consume because, number one, that'll lower prices for all of us to reduce demand, and number two, it'll cut down the externalities associated with generating power, like nuclear waste, like pollution from coal-fired power plants, like carbon emissions. So our utilities should be working to reduce our energy demand instead of trying to work to sell us more energy, and that's something that I know both NRDC and Environment Illinois are really working to get uh, as part of the uh, public policy solutions involved in the cap-and-trade bill. But isn't that... Isn't that our bottleneck there then? Because uh, it, it, it's like, you know, the oil industry working against clean energy. It's that if, if there's money to be made uh, with the status quo, 
how are we going to ever move on to something more efficient? If, if, if the utilities are making more money by selling more product, there's no incentive for them to uh, cut back and, and to clean up the, uh, the energy sources. Well, I think the, 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 the solution there is to change the model of utility profits or to create standards and law that requires them to, to work toward demand reduction. And that's something that we have at the state level in Illinois. Uh, we have, uh, by 2015, because of a law that was passed in 2007, uh, electric utilities in Illinois are required to meet 2% of their load annually through demand reduction programs, through energy efficiency programs. So they're actually working to reduce consumer demand. They're required to under law. They get to run these energy efficiency programs, which means that they get to put up billboards that say, go green and save green, and they get to, to, to promote themselves as being a responsible uh, servant of society. Uh, and that's their benefit. Uh, but on the other hand, um, you know, ultimately, they're, they're working to reduce their bottom line because they're required to do so under law. Uh, we, there was a bill passed in 2007 that we, our organizations worked on that uh, creates similar standards for natural gas utilities. Uh, so they'll have to meet similar goals under law. And we think this is something that should be part of the cap-and-trade bill at the federal level. And it's something that was in the House version, um, although not at the level we'd like to see. Um, it was kind of tucked away as part of the renewable energy standard in the, in the House version. Mm -hmm. But we would like to see it as probably a separate standalone item or something that has a little bit more teeth behind it than it does right now. Uh, and that would be, again... That you want to see uh, uh, energy efficiency become part of the uh, yeah. solution. Okay. So utilities nationwide should have to meet energy efficiency standards. Uh, meeting instead of just trying to provide their customers with energy, they should be working to reduce their customers' demand and working to reduce overall energy demand, which will then flatline and hopefully cut into uh, growing carbon emissions. That is Brian Granahan from Environment Illinois. Uh, Josh Mogerman from uh, the Natural Resources Defense Council is also in the studio. Uh, please, if you want to join this conversation, we're going to be talking a little environmental stuff for about the next hour, uh, including the dreaded Asian carp. You know, and, and, the, and, and the difficulty about that story, it sounds funny. You know, it sounds goofy, but it's not goofy. It's really serious stuff. It's a, it, it could transform the Great Lakes for the worse uh, for, forever. Perhaps. We don't really know, and that's, that's some of the information we'll get into. In fact, uh, Joel Brammeyer from Alliance for the Great Lakes will join us later when we get into that. And our phone number is 773-838-WCPT, 773-838-9278. All right, that's the one thing. We talked about nuclear power and, and, and how efficiency would be uh, is a much better way to go. Uh, quick question, Illinois is doing it. What other states, how many other states are doing it? Are we, are we standing out alone? No. I mean, that would be surprising, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you may know better than I do. I think it's about 29 states or so that have energy efficiency programs nationwide or have similar requirements of the utilities. The model varies from state to state. So in Vermont, I believe it is, you have uh, a, a state-run utility that's sole goal is to uh, get more energy efficient products and technologies, get more market penetration of those technologies. So instead of having utilities run the programs in Vermont, you have a state-owned utility that runs the programs, and they're the ones who do all of the efficiency work themselves. So the model varies from state to state, but there's a number of Western states that have similar goals, some less aggressive, some more aggressive. Uh, Minnesota, I believe, has a similar 2% goal. I think Michigan's is a little bit less aggressive, but they have one in place. Wisconsin, I think, has some goals in place What do you, what do you well. think is a reasonable goal? I mean, 2%, is that, is that acceptable to you? Well, the reason why 2%, I think, is what people aim for, especially in the Midwest, is because uh, over the last 15 or 20 years, we've seen uh, electricity consumption go up by about 2% per year in the Midwest. So what we're doing through efficiency programs is basically flatlining demand, at least when it comes to these utility-run programs. Now, we'd like to see demand decrease 
decrease right. through uh, other product efficiency standards, like the television standards that were passed in California just recently, uh, like lighting standards that we've seen at the federal level. Um, through just, just so just people know, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, sure. t televisions suck up a lot of energy. Don't yeah, they? absolutely. And if you look at um, some of the more efficient televisions versus your big energy hogs, like plasma televisions, um, it's an enormous difference. I mean, it is, it is really a tremendous well, difference. That, okay, that, that's something I don't get then. If, if we're so fired up about energy, reducing our energy consumption, why do we have so many uh, energy-wasting TVs? Because they look good? Well, is, is that it? Uh, I mean, is it like, are we, are we stuck the way we were with SUVs in the 90s because this is what people want? I, I was going to say it's just like energy, it's just like cars and their energy efficiency. Um, I mean, ultimately, uh, the average consumer can't be a jack-of-all-trades like we'd like them to be. Uh, they, they're probably not going to know anything beyond the sticker price when it comes to uh, what this television costs them. They will not understand the operating costs on a monthly basis because that sort of information isn't available at the point of sale. It's something that requires uh, an additional step, uh, additional research steps to be able to take on. Where can they find this? Can you, do either one of your uh, organizations have uh, ratings on uh, energy efficiency for televisions? But I, I know it's out there because I've seen it. Um, you know, Heather's going to do some checking right now because I've, I've seen the story mm -hmm. every now and then. It's, it's one of those things that pops up in, and, and, and somebody will report the Associated Press or the New York Times or something, and they'll say, hey, your, uh, your television is really energy inefficient, and uh, then it goes away. And, 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 and why are we not putting those stickers up in the stores right next to the televisions or on the screen so that people know about this? Josh? Well, you know, I, I think one of the things that's really interesting is that you, we've been, this whole idea of knowledge is power and, and people have no idea about what the energy consumption in their homes are. One of the things that, that uh, most, uh, most everyone agrees we need to be doing in this country is putting together a smart grid uh, that will give people the tools they need in their home uh, 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 to know in real time where their, energy is con uh, where their energy is being consumed and more importantly what they can do to decrease their bill by using less energy. Like when you go to the smart home at the Museum uh, of yeah. Science and Industry, it's up on the wall, it goes yeah. beep, beep, boop, 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 it shows you the consumption and, you know, and, and, and whether you're saving, whether, you know, if, if it's more than yesterday and, and that sort of thing, or last week. Yeah, people are motivated by their pocketbooks, and if you give them the tools they need to, to really understand what's going on, we'll see these reductions happen very quickly. And I think that's especially true when it comes to a lot of uh, business and commercial customers. If you're, if you're, let's say you own a lot of office space downtown, <clears throat> you've got 15 floors, and you have the chance to put meetings at your office or hold them somewhere else, if you understand what the exact cost of that meeting is, because you understand the cost associated with space conditioning, the room for two hours, with all the lighting involved, you're going to make much more efficient decisions uh, in terms of how you allocate resources. And I think there's tremendous potential there. Uh, you might install those motion sensors on lights that you wouldn't have thought of otherwise, because now you understand exactly what your lighting costs are, uh, as opposed to it being just part of a one-page utility bill that's just this, this sum fee that you have at the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, I, think, I think when you look at the future, like Josh said, it's a smarter and it's increased transparency, and ultimately the consumer in 15 years will be armed with a lot more knowledge, but for us to get that moving as quickly as possible, it takes some policy solutions, and we are very happy to see, for instance, the stimulus package had a lot of money that was going towards smart grid projects, uh, but that has to be a big priority going forward. And, and there's uh, um, energy reduction, yeah, the, the stimulus package. Uh, of all kinds, uh, weatherization, that sort of thing. I, I, I think some of those funds are still available, aren't they? Uh, I just bought new energy efficiency windows, and um, about a third of it is uh, being paid back by uh, tax incentives in the stimulus plan. Really? Yeah. Kathleen, did you hear that? 
I think, you know, I think we could get that insulation blown into our uh, balloon wall, too, probably. I, I, I'm pretty sure that that... I'm, I saw something about that just the other day. Um, um, oh, calculate... Okay, Heather has found a page. Um, saving electricity. Calculate your electric cost with a... Uh, it's a drop-down feature. A drop-down feature, so you can put the size of your uh, plasma television, your lights, your computer, your video games, your toaster or microwave uh and then you put the amount used per day uh, in a seven uh, if you use it seven hours a day or if you use it uh 24 hours a day uh the cost of the so let's pick one okay the three the 50 by 56 plasma television let's say yes yeah, seven hours a day that sounds pretty reasonable cost of electric is 12 cents that's a u.s u.s national average uh, now, how do we... You just click it, it's done. And then, like, if I change here, see, it just changes. Yeah. So if we use you change it to plasma, the... All right. Kilowatt hours used. 74 kilowatt hours used. Cost per month, $8.88. Cost per year, $107. Now, do they have... Uh, but the problem is, we need to compare it to something. It's right. just It's just one thing to have that up there. Um, you got to say, uh, what, which are the, you know, it just lists all the television. It doesn't say this is the most energy efficient. Again, the knowledge is out there. We're not putting it together. Well, I think, um, you know, one, one of the groups that we work with a lot is Citizens Utility Board, which is the rate payer advocacy organization in Illinois, and they're putting together the Cub Energy Saver, uh, which is an online application that will interface with your utility bill, and mm -hmm. it'll give you some information about where exactly, when you take these energy efficient steps and energy efficient measures or you're engaged in energy conservation, you'll see your bill decrease, and then you'll be able to see uh, what the different behavioral components or the different technologies are doing specifically to cause your bill to decrease. Um, mm -hmm. So some of these groups are putting that information out there. Um, that's, that's a really important project. I think it has a lot of potential across the state. But ultimately, it can't all fall in the consumer's hands. There has to be a policy component of this here because uh, there are only 24 hours in the day. We can't be expected to be uh, masters of energy efficiency in televisions while also raising families and working jobs and uh, having human relationships and uh, having hobbies. Um, I, and I'm trying to teach people how to compost on top of everything else, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, no, it's true. I mean, it's just one of those things that, you know, I'm not a, you know, it's what I always laugh about with Ron Cowgill and uh, Joe Builder when they come in at 10. I don't know anything about home repair. Really, I'm an idiot. And uh, I've done a little bit, but it's, it's, it's a learning curve. It's, I got other things that I'm, I'm dealing with. And you're right. It's, it's kind of hard, but it just, it just frustrates me that we don't make it as easy as possible um, uh, for, for citizens to just link on and do this, I mean, with, with all the technology we have at our disposal to get this information out. Oh, well. All right. Uh, Brian Granahan from Environment Illinois is in the studio with Josh Mogerman from Natural Resources Defense Council. Again, welcome to jump in the conversation, 773-838-9278. When we come back, uh, let's, let's uh, go into the, uh, uh, some of the other stuff like uh, the coal-fired power plants in Illinois and what we're putting into our waterways, and maybe then that'll segue, <laughs> including what we're putting into our waterways are the uh, jumping Asian carp. Uh, this is the Mike Novak Show on Chicago's Progressive Talk AM and FM. You know it's here. The holidays are here. Gift shopping and holiday parties. SIDS Greenhouses and Garden Center can <clears throat> help you get through these hectic times with great gifts plus home and party decor. Now, 
This has happened to you. It's happened to your friends. It happens to everybody. It's really okay. You've been disappointed by a grocery store poinsettia. So this year, send a real florist quality poinsettia from SIDS Greenhouses. They deliver throughout the entire Chicagoland area. And in addition to poinsettias, they also have gift baskets custom made to order. So get your list of family, friends, and business associates together today. Call SIDS tomorrow, and it's done already. SIDS can also help with home party decorating. Fresh seasonal centerpieces will add a special touch to your holiday table. And, of course, SIDS' entire stock of decorations and ornaments is up to 60% off this week. And this is before Christmas. And the fresh-cut trees, wreaths, and garlands are in stock as well. Go to my website, MikeNovak.net. I've got information this week on uh, an eco-friendly Christmas tree. And by the way, here's a tip. When you put the water in the bottom of your tree, and make sure you do water, get a fresh cut and put water in. That's all you need. You don't, that goofy stuff of soda and everything, it doesn't work. Mm, don't even worry about that. Uh, so visit SIDSonline.com to download the coupon to save $15 off your next purchase at SIDS. SIDS, Chicagoland's premier garden centers are located in Palos Hills on Southwest Highway and in Bolingbrook on Napier Plainfield Road at Hassert Boulevard. Get ready, Chicago, because Steph's packing her long johns and Bill's lacing up his boots as they get ready to meet in Chicago to help us kick off the holiday season. On Saturday, December 5th, WCPT AM and FM is bringing our all-star morning lineup to Frank Lloyd Wright's historic Unity Temple in Oak Park for what promises to be one of the funniest, most insightful events we've ever hosted. You'll get a chance to see two of the most important progressive voices in the country as they discuss the economy, healthcare, the media, and much more. Tickets are sold out, but you can still enter to win a pair of VIP tickets, which include a chance to meet Bill and Steph, plus catering from Joey's Brickhouse and premium seating. Enter today at chicagosprogressivetalk.com. Presented by the Chicagoland Laborers Union, Goldberg Weissman Cairo, personal injury and workers' compensation attorneys, and local 881 United Food and Commercial Workers. Sponsored by Assured Services Premium Carpet Cleaning and more. The law offices of Lisa Bauer, Medicaid crisis planning attorney, and Hedo Furniture. Enter to win at chicagosprogressivetalk.com. Attention teachers, want your class to really engage in American history? OneHistory.org has presentations that make history come alive. A 10-year-old Civil War powder monkey. A Depression-era 7-year-old pushing a horse plow. A group of teenage girls facing off against Southern bigots in the Civil Rights Movement. We know how to reach your students. Whether it's for a history class or providing a context for American literature, our presentations get to the heart of history. OneHistory.org. The truth is in the details. Check out our website, www.onehistory.org. That's www.onehistory.org. Or call us at 216-956-6300. See, Josh wants to know what a powder monkey is. And, uh, see... I it sounds very exotic. It is very exotic. No, it has to do with uh, the, uh, the... What's that? He were, a Civil War era sailor in the rank of boy. That's a rank? 
uh, whose job it was to keep gun crews supplied with gunpowder and shoot and shot during battle. At other times, they served in other menial ways, earning little more than a cot and food. That's a powder monkey. And uh, from what I understand from OneHistory.org, they were kids. You know, this is this is how we treated our kids. Uh, and now we give them uh, iPods. I thought it was uh, exotic wildlife. <laughs> and really good nature books. And really good nature books, right, as we talked Magner. about. That's true. If you uh, missed the show earlier, we had Tim Magner on the show with his uh, kids' books. And uh, right now we have uh, Brian Granahan from Environment uh, Illinois and Josh Mogerman from Natural Resources Defense Council. We are talking... Uh, energy stuff and environmental stuff in Illinois, and uh, I mentioned um, one of your reports, Brian, that came out about, well, it says that Illinois ranks sixth for most pollution from power plants, and I'm saying, woohoo! <laughs> All right, now how do we get to be number one? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, uh, you can uh, listen, listen to the energy lobby, and you, I think it's Texas is the worst. I don't have the information in front of me. Uh, why does that not surprise me? Uh, but I think it is Texas that's the worst. And I hope, you know, in, in case it's not, I want to apologize to any Texans out there. <laughs> no, it's okay. Don't worry <laughs> but, about but it. I'm pretty sure it is. It's all right. They got, their football team is pretty good, so you don't have to apologize they for are, anything. They are. I know. Um, but, yeah, this report showed it, what we were trying to do is basically take 2007 numbers in carbon dioxide emissions from power plants and not just rank the states in terms of which states were the worst, but rank the plants themselves and try to get a handle on what the problem is. Uh, we've been talking a lot about increased transparency, and um, this is a way for us to actually say, okay, you see this power plant there, you see a coal-fired power plant with smokestacks. Uh, what does that mean in terms of this contribution to our global warming problem? Uh, and this report provided some information on that. I thought one of the most interesting things about it, though, uh, was I found that 73% of total global warming pollution from power plants uh, was from power plants produced uh, three decades ago or, or later, uh, which is, you know, over 30 years ago. That's 1979. Um, you just mentioned an iPod, for instance. Think about the evolution of music over those 30 years. In 1979, you had uh, LPs, basically, where, yeah. where, how, how you listen to music. Yeah. Uh, and then at some point in the 80s, it became cassette tapes. And then it turned into compact discs. And now we have... Uh, MP3s and portable no, machines. No, we, we went to DAT tape in the middle there someplace, yeah. too. <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean it's like there was a blink of an eye and then <laughs> mini discs, and uh, now we got MP3s, and uh, right. But the industry has completely evolved, uh, both in terms of how we, the actual objects on which we listen to music, and then the, the medium of, of the, uh, the music itself. Meanwhile, we're still relying on these old coal-fired power plants, and we haven't evolved like that when it comes to energy. And I think the next 30 years have to be spent uh, having the, what we've done with information technology, what we've done with the telephone, what we've done with uh, how, how we communicate with one another. Uh, that has to happen with energy over the next 30 years. And again, where's the incentive for that? Because I, I assume that we haven't changed the technology because there's been no incentive. They're making you know plenty of money. Uh, uh, yeah, we've we've got two coal-fired plants in the city of Chicago. How mm -hmm. embarrassing is that? How how dare we uh, call ourselves or, or even pretend to call ourselves one of the greenest cities in America when we have two coal-fired plants spewing that stuff? One is just down the block here. 
Uh, you know, I drive by every time I come uh, into work on mm -hmm. Pulaski. Well, innovation carries with it barriers. And if you look at information technology, for instance, you could have Bill Gates creating an operating system in his parents' garage because all you needed was a computer and some programming knowledge and some ingenuity. And uh, that was certainly true of websites when we first really got into e-commerce. It, all it really took was a small staff, some ingenuity, some programming knowledge. There are very, very low barriers to access. When it comes to energy, the barriers to access are very high. So in order to have in, in, uh, innovation, you need capital. You need capital to spur innovation. And right now, all the capital, requ all the capital lies with the status quo outside of the capital that's public. So um, certainly the people who benefit from the status quo aren't going to spend a lot of money on trying to innovate our energy systems. So that, that responsibility falls in the public sector. And we need to have help from the government. We need to have subsidies. We need to have tax incentives. Uh, we need to have policies in place that provide costs for some of the externalities that current sources of power create. And, um, you know, I think, that, I think a lot of that would happen through, for instance, the federal cap-and-trade bill, uh, you'd finally attach a price to carbon emissions. Right now, that cost is simply socialized. Uh, the fact that we're staring at a, more, uh, a much worse future through rising sea levels, through uh, ecosystems being destroyed, um, that cost is socialized. The people who are putting the pollution out there, they don't have to pay for it. We need to attach a price to that. They need to have to pay for what they're doing to, to our uh, environmental future. Okay. <laughs> Man, you know, you, you, Brian, you're great. I just, you know, wind you up. And, uh, <laughs> it's coffee. You're just going on fumes here in caffeine. Okay. Uh, Brian Granhan from, the, uh, from Environment Illinois. Okay. One more thing. Uh, I, you know, I, I have more questions about that, but we're going to have to get to the, you know, the really serious stuff, Asian carp. Um, I know. It's just embarrassing. I, I, I'm, I'm shameless when it comes to teasing that silly thing, uh, except it's not silly. Um, the One of the other reports that Environment Illinois did recently was about the, the toxics being dis discharged into our waterways. Um, what's so different about that? I mean, uh, are we, uh, are we are, is it getting worse? Are we, <laughs> yeah, I, I thought the, our water was clean, getting cleaner. Well, what's so different about it is the Clean Water Act was supposed to put an end to it. And uh, right now we're supporting a bill in Congress called the Clean Water Restoration Act uh, that would restore Clean Water Act protection to a lot of waterways that are the feeder waterways for some of our biggest uh, rivers and lakes in the state. Uh, right now, most of our wetlands and a lot of our streams aren't covered by the Clean Water Act. So if you wanted to dump toxic pollution, somewhere, uh, you could do it in those places without even having to have any sort of a permit. Uh, and then on top of that, in the places where you do need to have a Clean Water Act permit, uh, those permits are routinely violated. Uh, if you look over the last 20 to 30 years, it's probably true that we've made improvements in terms of our water quality, uh, but it's not true that those improvements are what we contemplated when the Clean Water Act was originally passed and uh, what we thought would be necessary to ensure public health and public safety. So uh, there's a lot more work to be done. Uh, there's a bill on the table that would at least restore some of these protections. And, uh, uh, state or federal? This is a federal bill, the Clean Water Restoration Act. Oh, uh, there yeah. are five members from Illinois who are on the key committee involved uh, with passing the bill out. Um, I can't name them offhand, unfortunately, but I know uh, Representative Lipinski is one of them, and he's on record as a supporter of the bill. Uh, there are four others whose votes we really need on this. And, you know, this is important for Lake Michigan. It's important for the Illinois River. It's important for the Mississippi River. Uh, it's important for a lot of waterways across the state. It, it, it's, it's difficult to imagine that you could pass a Clean Water Act and say, well, you know, the rivers need to 
be clean, but the tributaries, not so much. Yeah, it doesn't make any <laughs> sense whatsoever. It's beyond a loophole. It's basically just an out, you know. Uh, and uh, the chances of success on this? I think they're fairly good. I think ultimately clean water is something that has a lot of resonance with the public. Uh, when the public finds out about this, um, they say, this is outrageous. Why are we not having protection over these other waterways? And we're doing a lot of work in the streets right now. It's one of the main issues that we're, our canvassers are working out in the streets, and we're finding that it has great public response rates. Uh, we've if people, people know about it. And again, it's, 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 it's like anything. You, you, you have to get the, the word out, and you have to get through the clutter. Uh, and, and there's so many other issues going on. And then there's the politics that, that is like this glaze over everything. A film, actually. More of a film. It's, <laughs> you know, because it obscures all the real issues in terms of how it breaks down into left versus right. Yeah, and it forces you into different corners when it comes to messaging. Instead of wanting to talk about exactly what the bill does and exactly what it benefits Illinoisans, uh, you're forced to address these kind of uh, strange arguments that are being put forth by people who want to continue polluting our waterways. And, um, you know, unfortunately can kind of paint you in a corner and suddenly the issue that's on the table is not no longer the issue that's being talked about and instead you're talking about something completely peripheral of that issue and that's unfortunate but that's you know as I said before there's too much politics and politics and uh, we just got to keep fighting back well we didn't cover everything, but I want you to stick around uh, for the rest of the conversation, if you don't mind, until uh, yeah. till 10 o'clock. Uh, that, that, of course, uh, is Brian Granahan from Environment Illinois. And short break here. Let's get the, uh, Joel on, on the phone uh, from the Alliance for the Great Lakes. And uh, Josh Mogerman is here in the studio, and we'll talk about the poisoning of one of our waterways uh, this week. That's still scheduled to happen, I assume. Have you heard anything to the contrary? Uh, December 2nd. December 2nd. Six-mile stretch. A six-mile... You know, I want to go out and watch. I, uh, I don't think you do. I no, think, I don't uh, think so either. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I hope that they shoo people away, actually, from that. We'll talk about what that means in just a second. Here's a tip from the Care of Trees. Do you know that the Care of Trees has 24-hour emergency service? Now, we haven't had any winter storms yet, or even really awful fall storms, but they're coming, and that can result in broken limbs or even downed trees. The weight of storm-damaged trees is great, and they can be very dangerous to remove or prune. And if they've fallen on cars, other structures, or even other trees, that complicates removal even more. The Care of Trees offers a 24-hour emergency service to assist in performing the job safely while minimizing further risk to your property. With nine locations, the Care of Trees has been serving Chicagoland for 60 years. The Care of Trees shares your enthusiasm for the many ways trees enhance the quality of your life, and the Care of Trees combines that joy with a dedication to the utmost in client care, putting you and your trees first. Make the Care of Trees your permanent partner in enhancing the value of your landscape. Whether you want to make sure all is well with the trees in your yard, you're changing your landscaping, or you're moving, invite the certified arborists at the Care of Trees to take a look. Go online to thecareoftrees.com or call 847-394-4220 The Care of Trees Their business is people and their love for trees 
Cafe Bella is Logan Square's newest great restaurant. High-end chef Cesar Casas, formerly of Ambria, prepares fresh, wholesome, but decadently delicious food. From the pulled pork sandwich for lunch to the tilapia provençal for dinner. The atmosphere is relaxed. There's free Wi-Fi. BYOB. Cafe Bella, 3311 West Fullerton, just east of Kimball. Go to cafebellaonline.com or call 773-292-5040. Cafe Bella, for gourmet, healthy eating. You know, that caught the attention of Brian Granahan. He says, uh, pulled pork. You know what? It's excellent. Their pulled pork... I just want to say something about Cafe Bell, and I'm glad that they're an advertiser on the show. Um, I like them because they're in my neighborhood. They're walking distance. And there are some pretty good restaurants springing up in Logan Square. This was kind of not in the square. It's on Fullerton at Kimball, just east of Kimball. Um, and um, it's, it's not been around very long, but... Um, yeah, the pulled pork is... I mean, all the stuff there. We mm-hmm. went uh, one night and, uh, uh, gosh, had the salmon and they had, uh, like, duck night. Um, and it's great and it's got Wi-Fi. Love a place with Wi-Fi. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Just, you know, um, and very cash, uh, but excellent, excellent food. So you guys got to stop in at uh, Cafe Bella. This is the Mike Novak Show on Chicago's Progressive Talk AM and FM. All right. This week, as I mentioned uh, just a second ago, um, you know, where do you start with this story? Um, uh, we we all know uh, if, if you've been paying attention, and and Heather is is has not really, uh, because she asked me. She said earlier in the show, uh, or just before the show, what's wrong with Asian Kirk? Um, and uh, I'll tell you what. Let to do to to answer that question. What's wrong with Asian carp? Let's go to Joel Brammeyer, who's on the phone. He's from the Alliance for the Great Lakes. Good morning, Joel. How are you? I'm good morning, Mike. I'm doing well. How are you? All right. Maybe do you want to, in a nutshell, tell us what's wrong with Asian carp? Uh, I'll try to keep it to 15 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> These are massive fish, the likes of which nobody who plies the waters of the Great Lakes has ever seen. Uh, up to 100 pounds, uh, several feet long. They can eat up to 40% of their body weight in plankton, which are small plants and animals, daily. Uh, they jump out of the water and smack boaters in the head. Uh, boaters have actually had their jaws broken, knocked unconscious, nearly drowned. I'm surprised that nobody's been killed yet. It's, it actually is pretty amazing. Um, we've got you know kids who've had bones broken by these fish boating down the Mississippi and Illinois rivers. So it's it's a pretty terrifying scenario. And these fish ended up in our waterways. Um, apparently, the first uh, person to bring them here was some guy in Arkansas. Is, was that correct? Who was using it for to clean up some of the muck at the bottom of a pond or something? Yeah, I mean, there, there are some uh, theories about whether it was brought over by a private company, whether it was brought over by the U.S. government, but mainly it was it was brought here to clean out um, fish farms, fish farm ponds that have lots of algae in them, as well as uh, as well as uh, wastewater ponds, because these fish do a great job at straining algae out of the water. So that was the original intent. Of course, anytime you bring a species halfway across the world into a place where uh, it's not supposed to be, you're taking a big risk, and so. Eventually, those fish escaped into the wild, uh, into the Mississippi River when, uh, you know, the natural course of events happened and the Mississippi flooded. Uh, you found these fish flooding into the river along with it. Uh, yeah, and um, and they have progressed uh, upstream. And then, uh, we, you know, we found them 
in the riverways leading to uh, the Great Lakes, and a barrier was put up. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, Joel, um, say hello to, to Josh Mogerman and Brian Granahan. Uh, I'm sure you guys have uh, met before, or if not, um, communicated. Uh, let me turn this over to Josh about the barrier that went up. Uh, at, where is it, and how effective is it? Uh, it's uh, on the Chicago Sanitary Shipping Canal. It's uh, near Romeoville, and it's uh, it's sort of more of a virtual fence. It's uh, uh, an arc of electricity and electrified water that the Army Corps of Engineers put up with the intent to uh, repel the fish as they made their way uh, from the Mississippi to the Illinois to the Des Plaines and into this uh, this canal that connects directly with uh, Lake Michigan. Um, uh, and, and, and stop right there. I'm when somebody says electrified fence, <laughs> it gives me especially around water, all right, or and especially in water. Uh, how dangerous is this to the public, and how again, how effective is it at keeping fish at bay? Well, sadly, it doesn't seem to be very dangerous to fish um, because we've gotten word in the last uh, week that uh, there is uh, that testing has shown that the fish probably have have evaded the barrier, and and when the Corps built it, they. Uh, admitted that there was a possibility that the uh, that fish might go ba uh, might be able to get past it, um, particularly at uh, certain sized fish. Um, in terms of danger to us, uh, you know there haven't been any problems so far, but they have had to slowly amp up the voltage on this thing for fears that the uh, barges that were plying the waterways filled with flammable cargoes like coal and uh, oil. Um, could be uh, could be damaged, and if anybody happened to fall off one of those barges in the electrified water, it would be uh, problematic for their uh, for their health. Uh, and there are uh, there are coal storage mounds uh, along the banks of the canal, and there were real concerns about uh, electricity arcing and setting uh, coal dust on fire. So, um, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's, Rube Goldberg comes to mind. Rube Goldberg yeah. doesn't begin to describe this. All right. Oh dear me. Uh, and, and Heather's her jaw is is keeps hitting the table. That sound you're hearing is Heather's jaw every time Josh says one more thing or or that more incredible than the previous one. Uh, so uh, we've got this fence that might or might not work, that might or might not be a danger to people and to products, um, that um, is the only thing at the moment stopping the jumping uh, Asian carp from getting into the Great Lakes. And uh, Joel Brandmeier, what would happen if the Asian carp got into the Great Lakes, do you think? Well, you know, that's a big wild card. Nobody's really sure, but a reasonable assumption is that they'll be able to reproduce in some of the rivers and streams that go into the Great Lakes, like the Milwaukee River, like the Kalamazoo, and especially hot fishing spots like uh, Lake St. Clair, Western Lake Erie. Um, these things breed by the millions. Uh, the reason they've been able to spread so fast up the Illinois toward Lake Michigan is because they uh, they breathe so well and they outcompete uh, the other fish that are there. So uh, we expect that you'd see big populations of Asian carp, um, basically turning the Great Lakes into giant carp ponds. Oh boy! Uh, can you eat and and Heather wants to know if you can eat them. Um, 
It's been done. Uh, I suppose that's beside yeah. the point, though. You know, it's yeah. it, because if if they replace all of the native species, who cares? Right. I mean, the, and and start killing people on water skis. Yeah, I mean, we've got one of the biggest uh, recreational boating industries in the world here in the Great Lakes. You just have to look out the front door here in Chicago with over 5,000 slips right uh, right in the city to know the impact this would have on the boating industry. Uh, it would be, you know, people would be, you know, afraid to uh, afraid to leave their slip for fear of getting smacked in the face by an, an Asian carp. And the point here, I guess, is that uh, we can't take that chance. We've already seen what the zebra mussels have done to... Uh to the Great Lakes, uh, and now we have this fish that has actually passed the barrier, hasn't it, Josh? Yeah, they're, they're, they use a uh, an eDNA test to sort of track the movement of these uh, of the fish, and uh, unfortunately, uh, last week we heard that they found traces of these uh, of, of these fish um, past the barrier in the canal, and unfortunately, in a couple of other wa uh, waterways that don't have any sorts of barriers on them, like uh, the Calumet River. Uh, which is a, a direct path directly into Lake Michigan. I think that's part of the reason why uh, NRDC and groups like Joel's group uh, 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 have been making a pretty clear call that we need to close the locks and keep them closed until we figure out how we can more durably and uh, permanently deal with this problem. I'm going to get to the pointing fingers in just a, a little <laughs> bit, but before we do, because there's there's one more part of this story, which is this week uh, the the electrified fence that may or may not work uh, is being shut down for regular maintenance, right? Because it's only been up for six months, um, so they got to check it and see, you know, how many uh, coal workers are are caught in the fence and that sort of thing. Uh, no, I'm just kidding about that. But uh, the point is, uh, the fence needs to be checked. Well, you can't. There, and there are two. One that that doesn't is a smaller one, right? And yeah. There, there was the the initial. There was a smaller version with a lower voltage that was there, sort of to prove the technology. And the newer, larger one, uh, which is a, a higher voltage, uh, that was turned up as soon as they realized that the fish were close to the right. Fence. So the higher one is the lower voltage one going to stay on. Uh, I'm not sure about that. The intention is to build a second of the larger ones so that uh, in the future when they have to take it down every six months, they won't have to uh, do the, the, the actions that you're leading towards <laughs> here, which are, are somewhat hard to believe. Scrape things off of the, the electrified fence, right. Um, so uh, to shut it down uh, would mean that the carp would have free access, except Joel Brammeyer, from Alliance for the Great Lakes, the uh, the river is going to be poisoned. Can you explain uh, what that means? Yeah, well, it does sound somewhat sinister when you when you hear the word poisoning. But um, you know, the reality is is that this is uh, one of our last shots stopping these fish from getting in the Great Lakes, if not the last shot. But what's going to happen is when that barrier goes down for maintenance, the state of Illinois is going to poison about six miles of the Chicago Sand Ship Canal along with uh, possibly some treatments up closer to the lake where we found uh, eDNA recently. And as Josh mentioned, we've been asking all week for those locks to be closed. Um, so we didn't have to have to worry about that at the same time. Um, poisoning the river is a drastic step, but you know, in the balance of the $4.5 billion Great Lakes port fishery that we're protecting, um, I think it's a small price to pay. Uh, what it's not is a long-term management strategy. And if we don't get the next six months right, 
we're going to be facing the same situation again, um, shutting down that barrier for maintenance and having to think about poisoning the river twice. Uh, and that's, uh, and to me, that's a failure of management. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think the idea that we're going to see literally 200,000 pounds of fish, dead fish, hauled out after this this action that's that's uh, going to cost, um, last estimate I saw was $1.5 million. Um, but it, it sounds horrible, but there just is no other option. And I think uh, you're, you're unlikely to find anybody who's going to say that uh, Illinois DNR shouldn't be taking this move. Oh, no, no. And, and I, you know what? I agree. Yeah. I think that uh, we cannot risk having the carp in uh, the in our Great Lakes, uh, and but the fact that we have to poison and we're using rotenone, which is typically, uh, by the way, rotenone is an organic pesticide. You, uh, so for folks who think that organics can be safe, uh, some of the most toxic substances on earth are organic pesticides. Rotenone is the one that is commonly used to throw is thrown into bodies of water to clean them out, to make the fish go belly up and so you can start over. Usually if you've gotten a, a bad species in there and, and you can't get rid of it any other way. So uh, from what I understand they're gonna rotenone but there's an antidote so they're 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 gonna monitor and carefully try to confine it to that six mile stretch uh, which is and I'm trying to remember because of it's it's actually upstream because of flow of the rivers going the other way, right? right? The canal. So um, that's that's the difficulty. So they're going to go towards Lake Michigan, put the rotenone in, and it'll float westward. Is is that right, Joel? It'll right. float, uh, yeah, and it flows downstream. These yeah. waterways flow away from Lake Michigan. From, so, uh, and, and, and the idea is kill all the fish, but kill all the... Do we know that it will kill Asian carp? This, well, rotenone's not discriminatory. Right. <laughs> it, uh, it kills all fish. And it actually is fairly safe for just about everything else. Um, so, you know, people take heart in that. But uh, it kills every fish. You're not just going to see dead silver and big head carp. You're going to see dead everything. Yeah. Um, yes, Heather? Can you compost those fish after they've been poisoned? That's is a good an, question. Is there a way to reuse all that? Uh, will the fish be able to be composted uh, uh, after this? Can they be used or are they... I hope they're not all just going to landfills. I think if they have ingested poison, there's problems with using yeah, them. Probably, yeah, probably. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. So we we've created more mess because, okay, now the finger pointing part is that who the heck's responsible for this? I mean, how did we let this happen? Who's where are the gatekeepers? Where are the people who should be paying attention to this, and why do we have a flimsy electric gate, and then we have to poison six miles of river? Do, do you know how ridiculous this sounds to <laughs> protect a, the Great Lakes? That's a really good question, and, and unfortunately the answer is nobody's sure. And this goes back not just to when uh, we first turned to the Asian carp threat, but all the way back to the 19th century when Chicago decided, or I should say the state of Illinois decided to connect Lake Michigan to the Mississippi River with this big canal. Uh, nobody could have predicted back then that in 2009 we'd have this... You know, I'm sorry, Joel, you're starting to sound like the Bush administration. <laughs> nobody could have predicted this. But but you're right, a century ago, it w or, or more, it, it would have been hard to understand the whole concept of, of alien species, um, you know, wreaking havoc. And so you've got to look at the reason, you know, this waterway exists today, and that will lead you to who's got to take the lead on, on solving this problem. You know, one is to help Chicago grow and have a good economy and keep Lake Michigan clean. So the state of Illinois has got some responsibility there. And then the other is that this is a big 
uh, Federal Navigation Channel, Interstate Navigation Channel, which puts it right square in the lap of the Army Corps of Engineers, who's responsible for uh, 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 maintaining these barriers and also um, the, the impacts that arise from uh, keeping this open as a federal navigation channel. Well, it's not just the barriers. The barriers sound like, uh, as you said, Rube Goldberg way to keep them out, Josh. Um, what's NRDC want to see happen here in terms of protecting our waterways? Well, I think you're you're hearing a, a pretty consistent call, and I think Joel would agree with the idea that, that first of all, in the very short term, we need to see uh, a quick action. I, I don't think that we are seeing a response necessarily that, that uh, uh, deals with the threat. We need to see the locks that are there that, that create a physical barrier between these waterways and the lake closed and closed until we have a solution to this. Uh, on the waterways, that do not have a barrier, uh, we need to be looking at an engineering product, uh, project to put some barriers in place quickly. But that's the, that's the short term. The longer term and more important one is, is I think, what Joel was implying, and that's that the ecological barriers that were uh, in place that separated the Illinois River, uh, the Mississippi River from the Great Lakes, we need to find a way to return those. Uh, in the Illinois River right now, there are sections of that river where Asian carp make up 90% of the biomass in the area, which means that 90% of the life forms that are there are these carp, and they're going to keep coming. We, we, we will not have addressed this problem simply by poisoning a stretch of the river. We have to stop the route for them to come up. Uh, it's 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 just amazing. And then this Tuesday, the poisoning will happen. And uh, but the thing is, I keep thinking, and we've only got like 30 seconds here. Um, I want somebody to take charge. You know, I want the grown-ups to take charge, and I don't want my state government or federal government or the Army Corps of Engineers or the EPA to dither, uh, to quote Dick Cheney, uh, on this anymore. You know, who who is possible? And anybody can answer this. Uh, Joel? Yeah, you know, I think uh, as long as we're quoting D.C., I think the uh, the quote, never waste a good crisis, is probably appropriate here. Amen. Um, you know, this is, uh, back in 2003, the city of Chicago convened experts who all agreed that separating the Illinois River from the Great Lakes was the answer to fixing this problem. Uh, the Alliance released a report on that a, few, a couple, a year ago. Uh, there have been multiple calls um for what we call ecological separation of these two systems. And if anything good comes out of this crisis, it's that everyone's going to realize that an electrical barrier is not going to stop these fish from moving into the Great Lakes. We need to return the Mississippi and the Great Lakes to the separate systems they were 100 years ago. Amen. That's Joel Brammeyer from Alliance for the Great Lakes. Joel, thank you so much. Uh, all the information is on my website. You can follow the whole story. Josh Mogerman from Natural Resources Defense Council, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Brian Granahan, boy, you were quiet there for a while, but uh, we're <laughs> learning. Uh, that's right. Learning. Uh, from Environment Illinois. Uh, Joel, thanks. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, everyone. Uh, and thank you uh, both for being here on the program today. I appreciate it. Since 1997, WRD Environmental has been creating healthy, sustainable landscapes that are both beautiful and responsible to future generations. 
unlike uh, some things in the rivers in the state. You could say WRD is in the business of transformation. Sometimes it's through projects like the Lincoln Park South Pond, for which WRD is part of a team that is turning the zoo's popular pond into a model for sustainable landscape solutions, habitat restoration, and environmental learning. Other times, it's through leadership in organizations like the Midwest Ecological Landscaping Association, which is working to green up the landscape industry so that sustainable design materials and methods are the professional standard. Sometimes the transformations are of people themselves. WRD is partner with the Chicago Department of the Environment in managing Green Corps Chicago, which provides job training in the green industry, electronics recycling, and home weatherization. For innovative, sustainable transformations, choose WRD Environmental, located at the Chicago Center for Green Technology and online at wrdenvironmental.com. I just want to remind people, I talked about it earlier, go on to uh, my homepage, uh, go to the Facebook site for Chicago Recycling Coalition, become a fan. We're trying to reach 1,000 by December 1st. Don't know if it'll happen, but let's give it best shot. Also, I'm going to do a report next week on that tree in, uh, where was it, the, uh, the Osage Orange that was in danger of coming down. Um, the historic tree, uh, it looks like it's been saved. For the, it was in Kiwani, and uh, Guy Sternberg um, had a part in that, so I'm happy to hear that. Mighty House is next. Oh, look at them peering in the door. That's just sad. They want to get in here. On Chicago's Progressive Talk, AM and FM.